We continue our series answering the question, what is the church? And today we're going to answer that question with that the church is a faith community led by qualified men. And as we get started today, could we just go back to First Corinthians, or First Timothy, rather, chapter 3, 1 Timothy 3. I, I want to go off script this morning for just a few minutes and just talk to you briefly, uh, or maybe not so briefly. We'll just see how it goes. But I want to talk to you out of 1 Timothy 3. I don't know how many of you are aware uh, presently at some of the controversy uh, that is happening in the uh, greater faith community, we'll say, uh, especially in our nation. But there are some very hot debates that are happening right now about leadership in the local church. And I just want to kind of speak to that from the scriptures today. Um, we don't have any internal debates going on, so I want to set your heart at ease there. I think we're pretty steady and stayed on what we believe about the offices of pastor, elder, bishop, and deacon. But I just want to talk to you because there is a debate. Maybe you've seen it. Um, there have been some decisive action actually taken uh, by a particular faith group where they have, uh, I think the word expel is probably accurate, expelled a couple of churches from their denomination and affiliation uh, because the churches have taken a different position on church leadership than the denomination takes. And these are some pretty big names. I'm not going to call them out today. If you'd like to talk privately about them, I'll be very transparent with you and talk about it and would welcome that conversation. But for today's purposes, it's not necessary for me to talk about them in particular as much as it is for me to just enunciate some of the teaching in Scripture. And what the debate centers on, frankly, is the idea of uh, ordaining ladies to these offices of being pastor and or deacon uh, in the church. The denomination, in the case that I was referencing earlier, uh, stood with what they believe a biblical position is that those offices are reserved for men, uh, as the Scripture teaches, the churches that differed uh, believed that ladies could be given or ordained to those offices. And so I wanted to speak to that briefly. I know it's risky, but I think we need to take risks like this, and we need to bring the truth of God's Word to bear on real life. Isn't that why you come to church? Isn't that what you want me to do? Okay, okay. So I'm going to do that, and I don't do it to demean anyone. Uh, we treasure and value ladies, don't we men? Right? So this doesn't have anything to do with uh, not treasuring and valuing the ladies among us today. Uh, we certainly do. At the end of the day, what this is about is just taking what God says in his word and deciding that God knew what he was talking about and that we need to submit to that and obey that. And how many of you know that's the way we should look at all of Scripture, right? So I just want to talk to you about that a little bit today. Uh, two things. One, if you want to talk further, let's do that. And number two, if you take issue with what I say today, I'd love to talk to you too. And not in an argumentative way, but just to have dialogue with you. So I'll invite you to that cup of coffee or my office too to have that conversation 
because I would love that. I would love to hear your side and your perspective. I don't think you'll change my mind, but I still want to talk to you and have dialogue with you. So let's go to 1 Timothy 3 with this thing in mind and why as a faith community here at Genison Bible Church, we have men in positions of being the overseers, pastors and elders and bishops and then deacons. Um, Why do we do that? Why do we do it that way? Uh, The reason is because of what we find in a passage like 1 Timothy 3 and then also Titus chapter 1. We can't go through both. And all God's people said, amen. We're not going to go through both. We're just going to look at briefly 1 Timothy 3. But why do we do it the way that we do it? We, we base our practice in this way on what we find in passages like 1 Timothy 3. If, if you go uh, down to, uh, well, uh, let's, just, uh, let's just go to verse 2. Can you go to verse 2 with me of 1 Timothy 3? Now, the overseer is to be above reproach and church, let's, let's say it together. I know we'll have different translations, but let's say the next phrase together, faithful to his wife. Some of your translations might say husband of one wife, right? Faithful to his wife. And so uh, what that means is, is that a man is going to be faithful to his wife. Uh, one uh, scholar said that a good way to look at this is that the leader, in this case of being a pastor, or elder, or bishop, he has to be a one-woman kind of a man. In other words, he can't be a womanizer. He's married to his wife, he's faithful to her, and he's not a womanizer. In other words, he's, he's loyal in his marriage to his wife, and he's committed and he's dedicated to his wife. And he's not playing the field, so to speak, but he's dedicated and committed to his wife. Okay, that's kind of the first clue, right, of who this list is for, right? He has to be faithful to his wife. It's very hard for a lady to fill that role, wouldn't you think? Now, I realize in today's culture and society, things get bent and turned around. But suffice it to say that in God's order, in a God's way of doing things, in his view on gender, okay, there's no confusion at all. It's very clear. This is a list that is talking to men, and men who are going to be good overseers in the church are going to be faithful men to their wife. They can't be womanizers. They can't be involved in adultery. And it goes on uh, with the list. Uh, We could just go to uh, the next verse. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. Now, you're going to begin to see the use of masculine personal pronouns throughout the rest of this passage. They just got introduced to us in this, in this way right here. He must manage his own house well. So let me, I'll give you a quiz. I know you weren't studying for it and you weren't expecting it, but what does the Bible teach us? Who, who is the head of the household? Just say it. The husband, the father, the man, right? And God lays that out, and and you can even see a lot of teaching on that very clearly in Paul's writings in the book of Ephesians. He kind of touches on that as he's talking about Christ and the church in Ephesians chapter 5, and he lays that out. So, So consistent with that, the manager of the household, the one who's the head of the household, the one who is leading the household, 
would be the husband and the father, the man. And it's his own family that he's supposed to be concerned with. And then he is supposed to see that his children obey him. And then it goes on to say he, there's another masculine personal pronoun, he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. So he's supposed to be honorable in his familial relationships as a leader so that his children will follow his leadership and will be obedient. In Ephesians 6, the fathers are told not to provoke their children to wrath. You remember that passage, I'm sure. That is less than honorable. If you're provoking your children to wrath, you're not being honorable. And what's going to happen? They aren't going to listen to you. They're not going to obey you. They're not going to be found in submission to your teaching and your leadership. Why? Because you aren't honorable. And again, here is that masculine personal pronoun usage with the head of the household who we know is the man in the family according to Paul's teachings in Ephesians chapter 5. And then it goes on to say in our text, how can he take care of God's church if he's not managing well at home? And then you'll see with repetition the use of masculine personal pronouns continuing on from verse 6. And then you also have um, the same whenever it comes to the deacon. Just jump down to verse, what is it, verse 12. A deacon must be faithful to his wife. And then he must manage his children and his household well. And then you you have, of course, the use of masculine personal pronouns. Now, go to verse 11 with me, because some of you are already there in your mind. You're going, okay, what do we do with verse 11? All right, what does it say? In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Now, there are some who would take that verse and say, see, ladies can hold these offices because it gives a short list of requirements for the ladies to serve in this way. Okay, that is one view. I think that's an inaccurate view, but that's one view. There's another view that would say, well, because it's mentioned in the middle of the requirements it, it doesn't stand alone, right? It's not a standalone. It's, it's sandwiched inside of the requirements for a deacon. Some would say maybe they use ladies as deaconesses in, in the early church. And there are some churches today who use deaconesses to serve. Some churches will call the deacon's wives a deaconess and she'll serve alongside of her husband in the church. And then there's another view, I think, that would say then that the ladies would just be the wives or the spouses of either the elders, the deacons, or both, and they too have qualifications, or they could disqualify their husbands from serving in leadership. And maybe you've heard of another view, I'm not trying to capture all of them, but those are at least three views. And I'm not going to parse all of that out today, but I will say this, that to come away from the text with saying that verse 11 is grounds for a lady to serve as the overseer or the deacon in that sense in the church is to really practice what we would call poor biblical interpretation. Because you have a conflict if you do that. How do you dismiss the language in the first and the second lists of being the husband who's faithful to his wife? 
how do you dismiss the repetitive use of masculine personal pronouns? You create this huge conflict in biblical interpretation, which is not the right way to interpret the scripture. So if there's a conflict, you know that your view can't be right because the Bible is consistent. It doesn't conflict itself and it's not inconsistent. How do we know that? Because it's a perfect reflection of the character and nature of God. God does not oppose himself. He's consistent and he is perfect. So he is not going to set up a conflict in his word. It's not going to happen. So if our interpretation presents a conflict, guess whose idea needs to change, right? Mine, not God's. So be careful with your interpretation. Uh, wherever you land on deacons and deaconesses or this being a verse to the spouses, that's something we can talk about and, and certainly not critical to the gospel. However, the idea of who should be in what positions as far as genders go is critical to the church and God has laid it out clearly and I've given you a little bit of an apologetic for why we do the things that we do in our faith community and I hope that provides some clarity as you might be following the debate of the day because it's a hot one and, and one of the biggest names in evangelical Christianity uh, pastors one of the churches that was expelled from its denomination. And if I were to name him, probably everyone here this morning would know. So this is big. This is really, really big. And I hope that I have provided some clarity for you. And if you have questions or you'd like to debate the topic, the invitation still stands. Come talk to me. I'd love to talk with you about it. Now, the faith community led by qualified men. So the title was not chosen without some thought. And certainly we're going to challenge our men today, being that it's Father's Day, uh, to be the leaders that they're supposed to be. And as I uh, said earlier, I hope the ladies have practiced saying amen today because this is your chance, okay? You get to cheer me on. No, I'm speaking to all of you and I hope that we'll all take something away uh, from this. I want to point this out, though, as we get started. According to Scripture, virtually everything that truly qualifies a person for leadership is directly related to character. <clears throat> Did you catch that as we read through 1 Timothy 3? It's not about personality, is it? It's not about appearance. It's not about ability. I think the only ability that could be mentioned here, or the point could be made for ability, would be in the elder overseer list when it says that they need to be able to teach, right? They need to be able to teach. But that's the only thing that really touches on ability. Everything else is focused on character. Even the leadership in the home and the submission and obedience of the children is attached to the father's character that he is an honorable man so that his children will follow his leadership, right? So, so leadership is about character. It's not about wealth. It's not about power. It's not about personality. It's not about appearance. It's about character. And that is critical for us to focus on in the church. Why? Because often people are put in positions of leadership and power in the church for reasons other than or in place of the character issues, okay? So be careful with that. You are the ones that have to guard that, by the way, okay? 
So it's not like you come in on cruise control and just let everything happen. You are entrusted to guard. You are the ones that hold us accountable as leaders. You have to do that. And in order to do that well, you have to be up on what God says about it. You know, every year we come to you with a slate of leaders and we ask you to vote on those things. It's not because we like to have elections, okay? It's because you are a part of the accountability mechanism and you can say yes or no to those men who are up for leadership. And if you need to say no, then you need to say no, period, because you hold us accountable. Now, there's a whole process where, that we go through that hopefully we only present to you qualified men. It doesn't just happen willy-nilly. There is a whole process there. That's another part of the accountability uh, scheme in our church that comes together and works together to make sure that we only have a, uh, uh, men who are qualified. But you play a part in that. You also play a part in it by being those who would aspire to being leaders so that we always have good leaders for our church. They come from you. You're the church. You are the leadership of the church and you, from you comes the leadership. And we need that. We need people who are walking closely with God. It takes more than a busy church, a friendly church, or even an evangelical church to impact a community for Christ. It must be a church ablaze, led by leaders who are ablaze for God. Committed, dedicated, following God, passionately pursuing Jesus and his model of humble servant leadership. As we do that, we will recognize that the authority by which the Christian leader leads is not power, but love. Not force, but example. Not coercion, but reason persuasion. Leaders have power, but power is safe only in the hands of those who humble themselves to serve. Humility in realizing that even the greatest accomplishment of leadership that will ever be done in this faith community comes from God. He is the one who enables us and empowers us to do anything because God ultimately raises up leaders for one primary reason, His glory. I love the scriptures that were read in the the comments that were made today as they were woven into our worship. That was so powerful. Paul wrote those words and he called us to be to the praise of the glory of God. That's what this whole thing is about. And God raises up leaders for that purpose, to glorify him in the church. He shows his power in our weakness. He demonstrates his wisdom in our folly. And we are all like a turtle on a fence post. Listen to this. If you walk by a fence post and see a turtle on top of it, then you know someone came by and put it there. In the same way, God gives leadership according to his good pleasure. It's all for him. It's all from him. And it should be all to him for his glory. So I want to talk to you for our remaining time today about some necessary qualities for leading well in the faith community. And the first one that I want to talk to you about today is that of having a healthy relationship with God, passionately pursuing after God. And I want you all to think about this with me today. 
Do we have that? And, and if someone were to kind of take a look at our lives and have full access, how would they characterize our relationship with God? How would you characterize your own relationship with God? The truth is this. Leaders have to constantly pour out. We have to constantly speak out and speak truth into others. We have to pour out uh, resources into them for encouragement, for counsel, for advice. Sadly, sometimes we have to do the correction and the rebuke, which we should do with all long-suffering and grace and love, but it's still a part of what we have to do. And all of that speaks of investing in other people. A leader, almost every time they turn around, has to invest in someone else if they're going to be a leader. And so we can't do that if we're operating on empty. You have nothing to offer if you're on empty. You have to be refreshed. You have to be walking with the Lord. You have to have your heart full of the grace and peace and love of God because you've immersed your mind and your heart in his word and you've allowed it to order the steps of your life. And you have to stay in that state of being replenished and refreshed and full of the grace and love and words of God. That is the best position to operate from to pour into others. If you're on empty, you'll have nothing to offer. That's true whether you're a leader or not. Hosea says this, God says, For I desire loyalty, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God wants us to be fully dedicated to him. And he wants us to guard ourselves from just showing up on Sundays and going through the motions. It's not what he wants. Anybody can bring a sacrifice. Anybody can bring a burnt offering. God wants your heart. He wants you to have a heartbeat for him. He wants to be the exclusive reason that you're fulfilled and satisfied on this earth and in this life. He doesn't want anything else in that place. He doesn't, there's no room for an idol in your heart with God there. That's what he wants. A healthy relationship provides for that. It's said this way in, in Mark 12, this is the most important, when, he, when Jesus was asked about the command, right, the commands, he said, this is the most important. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Would you think with me about what this looks like in your life? Personally, what does it look like to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength? I can't tell you what that looks like in your life specifically. You're unique as an individual, and it, it may look in the details, it may look different in your life than it does in mine. But one thing is for sure, this is captivating. And it's all-inclusive. You ever been to an all-inclusive resort? Anybody? Ever been there? Anybody ever cruise? I need to know if you've cruised because I'm getting ready to take one later this year. I need to talk to you. Okay? So you go in an all-inclusive resort, and, and what is it? There's no limits, right? There's no boundaries. 
uh, you go into the eating establishments on, on, in the resort, unless they have some that, that might be a prohibitive, but for the most part, you have access to it all, right? Access to it all. You go into the, to the restaurant, if it's one of the buffets, they don't have, you know, part of the buffet reserved for more important, you, you get access to everything, right? And that's what God wants. He wants full access, this is all inclusive. This is everything that we are and everything that we have needs to be focused on loving God. And I want us all to, this is our homework assignment. I want us all to go home today and, and throughout the week to really consider what would change about my life if this were true? If this were true, what, would, what does it look to come into this place as the gathered church and worship together Loving God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. What does that kind of worship look like? I'm just throwing out one thing for you to consider. All right? So you think about that, and then you ask yourself the question, am I worshiping that way? Okay? And you could just start choosing things in your life. What does it look to give this way? What does it look to worship this way? What does it look to serve this way? right? I can't answer that question for you. I can answer it for myself. I can help guide my family through that. But at the end of the day, you have to answer this question. And then am I giving that way? Am I serving that way? Am I worshiping that way? Am I relating to other people that way? You see, it just dominates or it should dominate everything. So ask the questions, do the work, and grow in your sanctification. This really involves us being very careful and intentional. I, I threw this reference in because this was my father's favorite passage and I felt like it fit being Father's Day. Therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded people. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You see, it's an intentional effort where we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in submitting to God and resisting Satan and winning those spiritual victories. It truly is the essence of a healthy relationship with God and it demands that we be humble instead of arrogant and proud. We must develop a fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord helps us recognize our accountability to God for the stewardship of our leadership. It motivates us to seek the Lord's wisdom and understanding in difficult situations. And it challenges us to give our all to the Lord by serving those we lead with love and humility. And that leads us to point two. And that is this love for the church. We love God, but we also need to love the church. I'm not talking about the building or the structure or the organization. I'm talking about the people you're sitting with today. That's the church. Do we have a love for them? There are two passages in the New Testament that I want to point out that speak to this, and there are many more, but I love the way these passages put it. And I want you to think about your relationship to the faith community especially if you're a leader or you desire to be a leader, do you really love the church? It's hard to lead someone well that you don't love. 
Hebrews chapter 6 puts it this way. Even though we are speaking this way, dear friends, in your case, we are confident of the better things connected with salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you showed for his name when you served the saints. Notice the connection. The love you showed for his name when you did what? When you served the saints. And you continue to serve them. Now we want each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the final realization of your hope. I think what he's saying here is, finish well. (laughs) And how do you do that? Look at verse 12. So that you won't become lazy, but will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. Don't get lazy at this. Work at loving the saints and serving them to show that you truly love the Father as well. And God doesn't forget that kind of loving service. Let's look at Colossians 1, and I'll make a few comments. Beginning in verse 3. We also thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You've already heard about this hope in the message of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and recognized God's grace in the truth. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly beloved fellow slave. He is a faithful servant of the Messiah on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. It was probably several weeks ago now, but I want to say it again that I mentioned this, and and that is that I think too often the church experience, right, the church life that we have is way too much like going to a movie, okay? It's a movie theater experience. We show up, watch the show, and go home, right? We come, we gather, we watch the show, we go home. And I want you to consider that if we're going to live out the great things that we see in Hebrews 6, 9 through 12, Colossians 1, 3 through 8, that that comes from a deep-rooted love for God's people and an intimate interaction with God's people, truly doing life together. Church is not just showing up, watching the show, and leaving and going home. It's far greater than that. It is showing our love for God through serving other people in love and humility in finishing well and doing it all the way to the end of our life. So if you're going to lead well, you have to love well. And truly, leadership position or not, we are all called to this kind of love. Number three, a good leader is someone who's a person of integrity. That's why we took the time to read through the long passage in 1 Timothy 3. I will not read through these verses again at this time, But don't miss this. These have nothing to do with someone's appearance or personality or wealth or even really their abilities. This has everything to do with character. A person of integrity is the person who can lead. And he is the person that God wants leading. We should never trade this in. We have to hold this standard high. I hope we all understand that every church is really only one leadership cycle away from compromise. Do we understand that? It's true. It is true. 
And we have to be careful of that. We have to make sure that our leaders are qualified. You know, over the years I've heard in some discussions, not here at Jenison, but in other places, people would talk about asking a particular man to serve in leadership to encourage him to do better in his life because he wasn't proven and he wasn't exhibiting good characteristics for leadership. But if we just gave him a position, he would probably change. Isn't that backwards? You don't give leadership positions in the church to encourage somebody. Now, if it's an encouragement, so be it. But you see in both lists that these men are supposed to be proven leaders. They're supposed to be exhibiting a close walk with the Lord. They're supposed to already be men of character and integrity. You don't use the position to accomplish that. And by the way, I'm not sure I know of even one example where that works. Okay, Why? Because it's not God's way. Now, we're not saying that people have to be perfect to be leaders in the church. That's not at all. We only understand we're all flawed. But people have to be proven men of integrity to lead in these positions in the church, and we can't compromise that. We should not. If we do, we're walking in disobedience. Number four, a leader must uh, also be a person who develops strong relationships with others. Now, if we go back to the passage in Mark, which we will not do. But if we go back to that passage, let me just remind you of what's there. God said, Jesus said, to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want you to now think about what would my relationships with other people look like if I loved God in that way and then loved others as God loves me? What would my relationships look like? Don't settle for being uh, poor when it comes to relationships. Don't settle for that. Learn how to do relationships well by being obedient to Scripture. Some of us are okay with not doing relationships well, and we make all kinds of excuses for that. A leader can't do that. Now, are you ever going to have someone get upset with you? Are you ever going to have a falling out as a leader? Are you going to ever have people get really angry? Yes, it happens. Whose fault is it? Probably a little bit of both right? But you have to learn how to do relationships well. It's not that our relationships are going to be perfect, but we have to relate well. And then we have to admit when we're wrong and seek reconciliation through repentance to heal relationships. Since you put away lying, Paul says, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander must be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. If I'm loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's what my relationships look like. And I do well. A leader figures that out and does it well consistently. Finally, and we'll close, number five. A good leader is going to know his giftedness while serving 
accordingly. We've been through this already, the gifts that the Spirit gives in Romans 12. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service in service, if teaching in teaching, if exhorting and exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. Do you know your giftedness? It's kind of hard to lead others to find their giftedness and serve accordingly if you're not doing the same. So figure this out. Assess it. See where God has gifted you. And then seek to serve in a way that allows you to use your giftedness for the glory of God. So let me call you to this church uh, so many ways to apply the truth that we've heard today. All individuals who are here can certainly learn from these truths. But men, lead well. Lead well by loving God well and loving others well. Develop that passionate pursuit of God and follow him in dedication, realizing it's not just about going through the motions. It's about a relationship with God. He wants our hearts. And out of those hearts that are fully focused on him will come all of the thoughts and words and deeds that will bring him glory. Let's pray together as we close. Father, thank you for our time. Help us to take what your word says clearly and bring it to bear in our lives. If we need to change, God, help us by your grace to take growth steps today for your glory, and as we've seen, for the good of this faith community. Help us, Father, to do what we need to do today to continue in this truth, and we pray for your ultimate glory in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.